Welcome to the What's Your Story podcast with Alan Sal. Thank you for joining us today. Al, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Are you well rested, ready to go? I'm raring to go. Raring, ready to go. You look it. You look alive. <laughs> I'm, I'm well. Alive and Vacation's well. done. I'm back. Yeah, you're back in the business. Mm-hmm. You're ready. You ready to do your guitar lessons? That's it. The guitar yeah. lesson. No more sloths. No I'm more sloths. Go. You're good. All right. <laughs> well, today, Al, we have a special guest yep. that we've been uh, uh, wanting to have on for a while, and it's Mr. Pastor... Sherrod Jones, how are you? Welcome yourself. Very good. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Um, it's funny because you, I read your little bio, uh-huh. and I saw that you are a September baby, September 17th. Yes, sir. So you are a year and five days older than me, you know. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, a year and five <laughs> days. You look a lot, lot younger. I feel younger. Yeah, you look good. You're looking yeah, good. Yeah, looking thanks. Good. Thanks. It's been know? a journey. Yeah, I mean, I get a little more gray than you. Well, mine's probably a little dyed. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> see, that was a secret you were supposed to keep, Pastor Sherrod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're 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 a pastor, so you could be, yes, be honest. You gotta be yeah. honest. Uh, so yeah, September you're a Virgo, and the, it's funny because the last guest we had on was a Virgo as well. So oh, maybe we should just keep that in the right line. Yeah, we could should keep yeah. that keep that going. Keep the momentum. Absolutely, and you're from. When we're going to get to this, but. Um, you and our next scheduled guests have something in common as well. We, they, you both have Baltimore ties. Really? Yeah. So you're gonna have to listen okay. to that one. I'm not gonna. Right. I'm not gonna give that up. You have to actually tune in. All right. And listen. So speaking of that, you were born in Baltimore. Yep, born and raised. Um, what do you remember living about living in Baltimore? How old uh, were you first of all when you came over? How long were you there? Well, I, I've been here since I was 11. 11. Okay. And what was what part and what was that like? Um, it was an experience. Uh, I was in the Baltimore school system there. Um, I actually, um, lived with my grandmother. All right. When my mom had me, she actually ended up moving here to Providence. Mm-hmm. So I got to Providence. Um, she got married, moved here. Uh, I stayed with my grandma for a while, um, until I was about 11. Um, I went to elementary, almost to middle school before I came here. Mm-hmm. Um, all my family lives there. My my sister, I have a sister there. My dad's brothers there. Um, cousins, uncles, mm-hmm. they're all there. Yeah. Um, the one thing I do remember the most there is uh, my dad was murdered in prison when Ooh. I was three years wow. old there. Um, and so there's I got a lot of ties there. Wow. Um, a lot of family members that um not alive anymore that live in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Um, I have another uncle that was murdered in Baltimore. It's been a it's been a journey. Yeah, I mean, I know the the crime rate is probably ridiculous. Oh, it's, it's, it's ridiculous like, there. You know, people fear going there because it's like home for me. Mm-hmm. Because I I've been here since I was eleven, but I go back every year. Okay. My grandmother's still there. My grandma owns a house there. Oh, nice. Um, and so I make it my business to go down all the time, check mm-hmm. on her, make sure she's all right. Right. Um, she's eighty one. Most of her friends are deceased, and um, she's making new friends. You know, at the new church that she's at, but um, she's doing well. That's good. Yeah. Were you going to say something? I don't know. Um, so uh, from what I understand, you you said your grandmother raised you. Yes. And she did get raised in a Christian home. Yes. Uh, was she very strict yes. on you? Uh, really, I don't remember her being strict. I mean, she did a very good job raising me without a man helping her. Yeah. You know, um, she had some female friends, I mean, some male friends that, you know, spoke life to me and uh, mm-hmm. you know, try to keep me in the right direction, but... You know, um, you still was a boy growing up, you know, yeah. how that could be. You, you know, need but, that, um, you needed that father figure. She, yeah, she taught me respect, um, 
which I was saying a couple of Sundays ago that we don't hear yes, ma'am, and yes, sir in this generation. They don't know what respect is. That's but going she, away. She taught me that. Yeah. You know? And so I'm grateful for that. Absolutely. It's something that you carry with you yes. even, even to this day. Yes. Right? Yes. So um, now I also read that you were a very talented young man at an early age. You had oh. this this God-gifted talent. Yes. Why don't you tell uh, our audience about that? I started playing drums at three years old. Um, By the time I was 13, I I did a couple tours with some choirs. Mm -hmm. Um, My grandmother was a part of an organization down there. I believe it was Church of God. Mm -hmm. And um, all the conferences and stuff, I used to play the drums. I was the youngest kid there um, playing drums. And um, I enjoyed it. I played drums. My whole life, basically. Wow. See, it's yeah. We kind of got similarities too. When yeah. you were three, we were both talented kids. Yes, when we were yes. three, when you were three, you you started playing the drums. Yes. You were playing the full drums. It was just, just playing yeah, pots and pans, cool. right? She, my grandmother, bought me a drum set, and that was it. So you, you know. didn't? She, you just picked up on music. Yeah, my yeah. son actually started with pots and pans. Okay, my son actually he started with cans. Okay, he didn't even know I could play drums. Oh, really? Um, he, he didn't know. Um, yeah, I came in the house one day in his grandmother's house, and he had like three pan, three uh, cans on the floor mm. and two spoons. And I was like, "Wait, a minute, this guy got some rhythm." Oh, What's going I guess on? It's, in the, it's in the blood. Huh? Yeah, it's in the blood, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I was three, I I, I partied on the toilet. Yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, I was I mean, thirteen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was were the drums an escape for the streets from you? As far as well, he was three at the time. Right? No, but I mean, oh, I, I, later on, well, I mean, not you know. I hope he wasn't at the, in the streets at three, Al. Well, <laughs> no, I wasn't in the streets at three. Um, so I, when I came to Providence to live with my mom, um, I started playing drums in her church, the church she was attending. Um, and I think by the age of 14, I got kind of wrapped up in the Providence fast lane. You know, um, in that particular time, it was in a high heroin uh, epidemic. And um, somehow I got myself wrapped up selling heroin and crack cocaine. So I got caught selling crack at 14 mm. in Providence. And um, it kind of shifted gears a little bit. I didn't end up in jail or nothing like that. Uh, did some probation, but I still was going to church. But mm. by this time, I introduced to smoking weed. So I'm in church. I'm high. Mm. You know, my mom trans- transitioned out of the church we was in to another church. I kind of was left there, you know, and I'm 16 now. And so it's like, you know, I've just fended for myself. You know what I mean? But, um, the drums, I stopped playing drums. Um, around 16, I stopped playing, and I never got back on a drum set again until I was like 22. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So so you were you were going to church. You were going to church every Sunday, mm. I presume. Yeah, the music um, was what kept me. What kept you, what yeah. kept you there. Yeah. Uh, but you were kind of living like that double, that uh, double life. A hundred percent. Now, was it just your, your the people you were involved in that you got you into that you said there was a heroin, you got busted for heroin, you said? Crack. Oh, was, was, it, was uh, it crack? Okay. I was selling both, but oh, I got okay. caught with crack. Okay, and that was at 16 or? I was, was 14, 14 years old. when you got busted yeah. with crack. 14 years old. Yeah. And, and and what did that lead to um, um, from there? I felt like I still spiraled downhill. Um, mm-hmm. My mom couldn't understand it, so with her it was more like a, hardcore chastisement with it um and you know not nothing abusive but just sure she was hurt you know that i was doing that but i felt like hey, i wanted this you didn't want to buy it for me so i found it another way to get it you know and yeah. so you know i just i kept selling drugs and i went from there to 
you know, more drugs, selling drugs and just um, smoking weed. I used to um, do like mescaline pills, you know, stuff like that. Um, And then um, I got into gang violence. Okay. I got into gang violence um, because it comes with the territory. If you're selling drugs, violence eventually shows up. It comes along with it. Yeah, it comes with it, you know. You don't sign up for that. It's just like you don't wake up one day and say, I'm going to be a crack dealer. You know, just kind of your environment. You know, I was growing up in a, in a neighborhood that had nothing to offer us. You walk to the corner store, hey, what you, what's up with you? You know, so it's like it was influenced everywhere you go. So it was like it wasn't positive, you know. And so in my time of um, in getting into gangbanging, I got uh, shot twice. Um, the first time I got shot was a three fifty seven. I was... Um, coming at me with a ski mask, um, shot me. And then I got shot again at a club called The Living Room. Oh, I remember um, The Living Room. Yeah, I got shot out there one night, and that was like a night. That was 94, so I got shot in 92. Mm. 94, my son was born in 92. Um, wow. But in 94, I got shot, and it was just like, you know, started having these films like, you know, maybe the next one, you know, is going to take me out of here. I don't know. Right. You know, because there's always somebody tougher than somebody else. You know what I mean? Bullets are not prejudice. No. Um, and so I just got to a place, you know, I got tired of the street. Right. You know, and um, I've, I've been in a lot of, I beefed for years, mm-hmm. you know, gun violence for years, you know. And, um, you know, I just, you know, God had a plan for my life. I got out the streets on Father's Day in 1995. I was in church. Hmm. And, um the preacher was preaching, and it just something. I just felt something that I never felt. I grew up in church, but I didn't. I didn't know nothing about. Hmm. I just knew music. Like we just go to church, we play music, and we're having a good time. And can you sing one more song? You know yeah. what I mean. But um, how many friends did you lose in that fast uh, lifestyle? By the time I was, by the time I was nineteen, I probably been to about eighteen funerals. Wow. Um, more associates than friends. My my close core circle of friends only one was murdered um the rest of us are still alive today um i have i have two cousins um doing life in prison um here i have um cousin in baltimore um doing maybe double life he's in, i don't think he's ever coming home but um you know it's just it was a journey you know a, a huge journey but Giving my life to Christ, you know, sometimes people say, oh, that's the best feeling, you know, and it was a good feeling. Mm. Um, and then, you know, even getting saved, I got a testimony, yeah, <laughs> you know. Right. And so I ended up um, getting married to my, my son's mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, um, it was, like, forceful. Like, the church, like, you got to get married. You can't be fornicating. You can't be living with a woman. Can't do this, can't do that, can't do that. And I was like, is everything concerning God what you can't do, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And so because I grew up in church, I had a respect. And, you know, we grew up in that yes, sir, yes, ma'am era. So it was like I respect my elders. Yeah. We got married. You know, it was young. And, um, you know, I was married for about 16 years until I, you know, got divorced. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, by then we had three kids. Now, do you, you know? do you feel as though because you were like, quote, unquote, following the rules, mm-hmm. um, can't fornicate, you have to get married. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think do you... Like you, like you said, you kind of got forced into it. Do you think that was like ultimately a d- demise, or was it a lot more involved as far as your first marriage? Uh, it was a lot more, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, just like 
it just didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, reconcilable differences. You know, I don't like to like like because you know I got kids. I don't want to embarrass my children by right. telling the whole story. But right. um, you know, I I prayed on it for a while. It took me a long time to walk away. Right. I waited till my daughter was thirteen. You know, before mm-hmm. I like you know I'm gonna I'm done. You right. know, and I just I just followed the plan of God with it. You know, and at this I was pastoring. You know, and mm-hmm. that was tough. That had to be tough because tough, because yes. now now people all eyes on you right yeah, You're under the man, under was, the um, the microscope the, the microscope was huge yeah you know and but I was tired yeah you know what I mean and I had to just do what I had to do you know and I think I think honestly it was it was probably um, the best decision for both of us right just one of us had to make the decision you know right. and I made the decision to this day I don't regret the decision you know. Um, because I became more of a healthier person, you know. In in marriage, I was stressed. I ended up with diabetes, um, and I became five hundred and nine pounds. Oh wow! You know, I had a I had a sugar rate, man, at like three seventy five. That wouldn't even go away if I fasted for two weeks. It was just water; it wouldn't go away. Then I had like I had a surgery on my leg because I had a growth hair. So many complications I was having, you know, and. To me, it was all connected to my heart, right? Um, you know, just heart heart renewal, mm-hmm. you know, mind renewal, you know, and um, just you know, just making a change, of really um, getting more serious with God, you know, instead of worrying about the past and the struggles and you know why I ended up the way I ended up, you know, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I had a couple good mentors in my life, you know, um, you know, Bishop Williams, Jeff Williams from the Cathedral King's Cathedral, yeah. He's very intricate in my life. He was there with me through my process of going through my divorce and different things like that. Right. Yeah, it's good to have some. You have to have mentors in your life. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, yeah. And he understood. And he, you know, you need that mentor that doesn't take sides. Right. You know Can be I mean? honest with you yeah. and upfront with you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. It, it takes two people. You know. And so you know. I mean, but I'm happy now. Right. You know? um, but I went through a lot. Right. I went through a lot. I, I ended up in a hospital. Um, five years ago, um, all connected to stress. And, um, you know, I was in the hospital for 60 days. Um, the first 30 days, I was incoherent. Oh, wow, 30 you know, days. Yeah, they had me on, like, all type of, like, strong medication and stuff like that. And I thought I was going to die there, you know. Um, in the process of 60 days, I had 17 surgeries um, because I ended up getting MRSA when I was in the hospital. Oh, wow. So I went through all the surgeries and all the meds, and I just didn't think I was coming out of it. But I made a choice on that bed to live, mm. you know. Um, and it was crazy because I, I actually had just got remarried. So I got divorced in um, 2000, 2011, and I got married five years ago. And I was like, right. man, like, I'm just getting married. I'm in the hospital, like, putting all this pressure on my new wife. And it's just yeah. like, but she was a trooper. Mm. She stuck it out with me. She was there. She... You know, my kids, my kids are very, um, very um, significant in my life. You know, my kids make sure I don't want for nothing. And they were there and they're still there. Right. I I said that I saw that. And you also said about, you know, you know, though those titles, whatever title you have Mm -hmm. is not important to you. But it's the title of father, son, uh, uncle, whatever is it's it's, it seems like you're really family Mm -hmm. oriented. And that's what's really important. Yeah, family's first. You know, even like I'm a pastor now. Mm. It's God and Sherrod, my wife, yeah. kids, kids. ministry. Yep. You know, I got five grandkids, 
you know. And, wow. You know, I stay busy. Nice, you know? I'm sure. But I, I like doing family. Yeah. I like doing family, you know. Especially when you grow up with no father. And, you know, my mom and my grandmother, you know, they they made sure that I was just okay. Like, yeah. like and the streets just start raising me a little bit, you know, learning, you know, fatherhood from the streets because it's only older male figure I knew. But, you know, as I began to come into a man myself, I understood that I had to fend for myself. Right. You know, I really learned this thing. Did, uh, after being shot, did that change your outlook on, not too many people can say they've, they've Especially lived through. Well, yeah, yeah, of course. But first, <laughs> I'm, did it give you a different outlook on life after that, looking the first, back? The first time, no. The first time it made me more angry. Right. More, more hardcore. Mm-hmm. That, that, the first time was yeah. that, was that gang related? Um, or you don't know? No. Nah. No. Um, you know, something transpired. Um, at a club one night, and um, I ended up getting shot um, at the after hour of the restaurant mm-hmm. outside on Broad Street. And the most significant thing about that was um, the man that shot me, you know, Providence is small, and I'm fully connected. So the streets told me who shot me by morning. Wow. Um, and the guy had a ski mask on. And, um, you know, I was in a sneaker store um, one day, and the guy walked up in the store. And, you know, I was, you know, I had my gun and everything. And he was just like, you know, can we talk? And I'm like, I'm shot. Like, yeah. what do you want to talk about? And he was like, man, my mom died. I lost my mom. And, you know, maybe that was my punishment. And I always was just a sympathetic type person. I was like, all right, yeah, I mean, so I didn't hear about your mom. But I didn't want to talk. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um, to this day, me and the guy talk. You know, we talk. I invite him to church. You know, he's welcome to come to church. He one day he has somebody come say, "You want to come to church with my boyfriend?" But my boyfriend said that you had altercation. I said, "I don't live in the past. Yeah. You know, I'm free from the past." So you know, you coming to church is a testimony for both of us. Oh, we absolutely. can stand up and testify. You know, the second time I got shot, um, I was more worried about my son being fatherless like me. Mm-hmm. The second time I got shot was um I was at the same age my father was when he got murdered. Oh wow! So I said, you know, I got to be a generational curse breaker. Yeah. You know, and I gotta, I changed my life actually for my son. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I started going to church because my son needed to see a father figure. Right. You know? And that's from that day forth. That's why I just been. Now, when you the first time you got shot, you didn't have kids. Or yep, my young. son was. Uh, he probably was about three months. Oh wow! Yeah, he probably about three months. And then um, when I got shot the second time, I still just had a son. I didn't have my daughters until I got married and saved. Okay. Yeah. That was, did you have? Some, no, no, no. Uh, now speaking of family, I think I'm maybe going back a little bit. I have mm-hmm. to ask you this. Um, I heard that there was kind of a beef with your family and other family, and the person who described it to me was said it's kind of was like the Hatfield and McCoys. Um, can you speak a little about that or is it something Um, you can't speak about or care to speak about well there was street beef amongst families Um, you know it's it's not a secret you know did you have a large family is that you had a large family Um, pretty much Mm -hmm. Um, and so in Providence I had a family um, we were the last of the family Mm -hmm. and we were beefing all the time with the Brown family Mm -hmm. Um, and it was like an ongoing beef all the time and we were probably considered the most hardcore families in Providence you know and um, you know some things transpired through that um, you know 
and we felt like our uncles, they were friends. And, but because we felt like they probably didn't have the guidance or the know-how, you know, they could have really diffused the beef amongst us, you know what I mean? And it never happened like that. And, you know, people got shot, people got hurt, you know. Um, I got two cousins now that were accused of killing one of them, Um you know, and I was in the church at the time. I wasn't even in the streets no more. Um, and they're the ones that end up doing uh, life in prison, you know, for that. Um, yeah, but that was a ongoing feud. And it's like, even today, it's like the younger kids in that, in the other family, like, still want to, like, live on a legacy that they yeah. don't even own. You yeah. know, they don't even know how it began. Right. You know, and I've talked to some of the young guys, like, man, you don't even know nothing about this, like, it's, it's a dead issue. It's over. Right. Because you know? um, it, it's really been, re- it's from the, from the time you were at, it's been resolved for that generation, correct? Yeah, but yeah. These, these young kids yeah. are saying, well, yeah. the Jones and Browns are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They still want to keep it going. You know? But when you don't have a sense of direction and you're, you're, the older people in your family are drug addicts or still running the streets, yeah. you're not going to get the guidance that you need to go to the next level. You know, and so, I mean, Providence has a habit of, um, you know, they'll lock somebody up without really, you know, doing the research, right. you know, stuff like that, you know. So, and it's it's strange now because the very people I have a relationship with now, I would never when I was in the street. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I got the mayor on speed dial, the chief of police on speed dial. Imagine um, that. I'm fully, I'm fully connected to change, mm. you know, so it's like. If I go to the table, you know, the community knows that I'm going to the table. I'm being real at the table. I'm not selling my community out. I'm for my community 100%. And now, and I actually work now at the Nonviolence Institute as a victim advocate, you know, and so my life has to become nonviolence. Yeah. You know, so now I'm breathing, sleeping, and, right. you know, nonviolence is what I do, right. you know. Now, that, that change, um, do you think that could have happened? Well, we don't know. Without uh, God in your life, or, I mean, it's possible, but I mean, uh, not it's so- it's definitely possible. Um, I think me coming to Christ and coming to church it gave me accountability mm. um, to stick to the change. Um, you know, when you like, you know, me like I got felonies. I had felonies in the streets, and nobody would give me a job. You know, so it's like you know, just go back to the game. You know, sell drugs and. You know, be happy, get your cars back yeah. and your music and all this stuff. And I just like, I put my trust in God. You know, I, you know, my family was like, like my mom, my grandma and them, they, they don't even, they never was in the welfare system. They always had good jobs. They own houses, you know. And so I had that backing for me, you know. So it's like, hey, we're going to buy this guy some shoes, some slacks, you know, we're going to keep him from going back out <laughs> there. And then. When I got involved in, you know, working in the streets, um, I was a part of creating a um, march called No More Murder March. Mm-hmm. We marched through the streets of Providence three times. Um, I did so much that the attorney general, um, you know, they expunged all my records. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I have no no record no more. Unbelievable. That's, yeah. that's a yeah. blessing. You wow. Know, you know, and when I went to a lawyer, lawyer said, you can never, you'll never get that expunged. Yeah. You know, and I was like, well, you know, my faith is big. Um, one of the main reasons why I wanted to expunge it so I could get a good job, but I had a good job with the felonies because people were trusting me now that yeah. this guy's really changed, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, it's, 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 you know, it was good. Talk about redeemed, huh? 
I'm that's, now. that's yeah. But, yeah. That, yeah. as a pastor yeah. though having the background you do with the streets must give you more credibility with the it does it does and um you know so when i grew up in church i grew up more in a dominant church like like you know it's, it was like real hardcore holiness of hell and it's like and i started preaching like that and it was like uh it's turning people off that's what you knew you know? and that's how you started. and that's what i knew but once i realized wait a minute like i'm not helping i'm damaging people we go to church we know we're we can end up in hell we know that we're doing wrong i don't need to be beat over the head with it and so when i begin to shift the way i taught and you know people are more like you know leaning towards god you know because we always hear what we can't do yeah you know and it's like god's not a mean god you know right you know and so i start i opened up my church in 2005 um prior to that i was a pastor at uh, the king's cathedral I was pastor of outreach and evangelism, and um, and then I opened my own church. So now I'm going on 17 years um, when I was in ministry. And so now I started off at Victory Outreach Center, and I became Judah Multicultural Church. Mm-hmm. And then one of the best decisions I made was linking up with Pastor Tony, you know, mm-hmm. and becoming Restoration Church, Providence right. Campus. And so when people say, how long have you been in ministry? I say, five months. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's a new, because it's, new it's new. new you, know start, I mean? right. you can't bring the old into the new. Right, you know, right. You can't put uh, old wine in wine new, skin. Yeah, it's not new no wine and old wine skins. Yeah, the bus, yeah, absolutely, you know? yeah. absolutely. So, um, we'll we'll get back aboard onto that. Um, so now you had also had a partner in crime. Uh, his name was Dennis. Yeah, and real, and you started a uh, program with him, correct? Yeah, we started a program called um, Curse Breakers Outreach Program. Um, he was my right man, right hand man. Um, you know, we 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 actually found out we were family uh, through marriage and stuff like that. And um, we really ran the streets hard, mm. ran the streets hard. And um, he actually is um, working at the Rhode Island Training School. He's a shift coordinator. He's been there for a while. Um, and like he's my, he doesn't come to church, you know, but um, he was in church, you know, and you know things happen. He went through a divorce, different things like that, and. You know, as men, some things set us back, you know, yeah. and, um, but, you know, he's, he's a good dude. You know, when we started this program in 1999, um, we actually was the first people to start a basketball league in the city, inner city basketball league with 120 kids playing basketball during the summer. Wow. Brand new jerseys, you know, we get donations from, um, uh, um, state reps, you know, to run basketball leagues. Um, I mean, one time we was running a league and the guy came out on the court with a gun. And he was going to shoot this dude, and I walked up on him. And I said, man, you ain't shoot nobody on this basketball court. Mm. And he said, who do you think you are? I said, it's not about who do I think I am. It's what you're not going to do right. in front of all these people. And he walked away. Wow. And um, when he got up the street, he started doing something with the gun. Next thing you know, cops had him, and he was locked up. You know, But we, we used to play gospel music. People knew what we stood for. Right. You know, And then we, started, we did programming in, in some of the schools, middle schools. Um, you know, we do programs like um, Rated R. Um, you know, so we talk about video vixen. We used to talk about a little bit of everything, you know, just trying to change the culture, you know, of what um, the stigma is on our, on our black and brown kids. You know what I mean? And so we did it for a long time. It worked yeah. well. Now know. that program is... Um, right now, I mean, we still have a, you know, we're still a um, registered program with the state and stuff, but we haven't done anything in a while because mm-hmm. so many programs came out and then as we became more family men and changing our lives we couldn't dedicate all our time to just that you know because right. the finances wasn't there 
you know. Um, but I help write a lot of programs in this city that um, that are doing very well. Right, and one of them is called Focus. Is that one of them? So Focus was a part of Curse Breakers. Oh, um, was it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and that's fundamentals, fundamentals on creating unlimited, unlimited success. success. Okay. It was a curriculum that we wrote because um, um, I worked in a training school for a little bit. Well, I worked for the American program, which was founded by Jim Brown. Um, and so I worked with him in the training school for a while. Then, then I opened my program after that because mm-hmm. his program kind of stopped. And I was like, you know, what are we going to do now? Mm-hmm. You know, so, and we used that that curriculum to about maybe 2004, mm-hmm. you know. But, you know, it's hard to do programming without funding. Right. And it's, it's, we spoke with, with uh, Matt, I believe, his his friend was a state trooper about, mm-hmm. you know, crime and mm-hmm. the community and and. That's it. You got to invest in the youth, yeah. especially inner city yeah. youth. Yeah. yeah, you know that's how yeah. you 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 know make changes. Yeah. You got to start yeah. from from there, especially yeah. like you said, coming from Baltimore. Yeah. Look at, look yeah. at that right there. Yeah, Fa- yeah. Uh, children without fathers. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. the biggest thing. Yeah. Uh, my my cousin is a um, a homicide detective in Baltimore. Wow, this is last year. He's going to retire. Yeah, wow. you know? that can't but be an easy job. Uh, he's seen it all. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah, homicide detective in Baltimore. Yeah, yeah, he's seen it all. Yeah. They made a show about it. It's called The Wire. Yeah, <laughs> it really the is. Wire, the Wire yeah. is it, it's real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, the streets are just like they're like that right now. Right. So, uh, what do you um, did now? I read something about you. Were you working on a book? Did you ever uh, write a book? Or you... I started working on a book um, called The Anatomy of a Curse Breaker, mm-hmm. and I paused it for a little bit because. Once I was going into a new marriage, new life, ministry changing, you know, I said I got to add more to the book because if I'd have wrote the book, then I had to rewrite it because I got right. a whole new life now. Right. You know? So I mean, it's it's still in the works. I need to get back to it. You know, um, that's one of my projects. Mm-hmm. You know, now, to what, eventually what, do it. What um other is there other uh, other things you're doing in the process? Now I know you said you you I I think I saw a picture of you with um was it like a Stop the violence thing. Yeah. Is, oh, recently, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was me. Um, a good childhood friend, um, Dwayne um, Boo Hackney's a barber in Providence. Mm-hmm. He's probably cut the heads of a lot of dead guys. Wow, you know, um, and um, you know, we we've done a lot in the community. Our friend, my friend Archie, um, we used to be rivals, and now we're on the same team this way. You know. Um, and the guy that's standing next to him, he was a new appointed head of state troopers. And then he had, you know, his, um, the guy that goes and walks around with him. And so that was based on what happened in Buffalo. Um, and that was in front of my job, the Nonviolence Institute. And they were just talking about, you know, how we feel as a, a black community, you know, seeing what happened there, you know, stuff like that, you know. And I said, you know, you know, it's, it's, it was tragic. Right, you know, when I seen it, I thought I was watching like a simulator. Like, I thought it looked thought like it a video fake. game, yeah, right? Yeah, it looked like a. So I said, "Did you I see it?" No way, that's yeah, real. I saw the footage. Yeah, yeah. it looked you know. actually like uh, someone playing a, a video game. Yeah, like, and it, looked, yeah. it was it was yeah. it was spooky. And yeah. now you had to yeah. question it for a minute. Is, yeah. like, is, it, is this what yeah. I'm seeing? Like, yeah. It's, yeah, it's crazy. And it's, it's a couple. One lady was like 85 years old. Yeah, you know, it's like man. Just now, we just had recently the the school the shooting children. in Texas. Um, Texas, you know that that was tragic, man. And then you, you have border patrols, the one that um shot him, shot the guy. Mm-hmm. But the police officers on the scene were they more, were they're more, 
worried about getting their family members. Yeah, we just we just we just read that earlier. You know, and you know everybody in that school mattered, not just your family members. You you know protect and serve. You know, and it's just like ninety one minutes, like whatever was going through his mind. So what are your what are your opinions on uh, protecting our kids? So just now that we're um, we're, we're uh, speaking on it. Well, I think awareness starts at home. Mm-hmm. You know, um, making our kids aware of their surroundings, um, the importance of staying at school in our bunking class, um, and just these things like this. These shootings are inevitable. Right. You, you don't know. Um, the school needs to beef up its you know security. Mm. You know, them doors need to stay locked. You know, um, how he got in the school. God knows, right. <laughs> you know, um, but I just believe it starts at home and we need to keep uh, putting our kids through different programs and, mm-hmm. you know, because our kids are gone all day and not with us. You right. know, so we, we get to see them what a, you know, a little bit at breakfast time, depending on what time you got to go to work, you know, by the time you get out of work, they come home, it's a little bit yeah. of work and it's bed, you know, mm-hmm. so yeah. and that's how our kids, you know, really lose you know lose out you know but if you I, think about it the school should be the safest place they could possibly go yes it should be you know but unfortunately i think because these predators know they're supposed to be the safest place they make sure it's not yeah you know and they and even this guy they said that you know he was traumatized as a kid bullied in elementary so it's like man all these years this has been sitting dormant yeah. and his head is like you know, today i'm gonna go get revenge for what they did to me yeah. you know but that you know that uh, we were all bullied. Everyone's been bullied at one time in their yeah. life. You know, yeah. I, I, I just think that I keep hearing that bullying, but we've all been, I mean, I'm sure there's worse bullying than others, mm-hmm. but I, I, that can't be the only reason because we've all been bullied pretty badly, you know, here and there. I think for some, it's, some people are struggling with mental illness, Yeah, you know, and you know, some kids are on different type of pills. Yeah, exacibates that. Yeah. I worked in a school called a Valley School. It was restraining kids all day. Yeah. And I'm like, we go to work to restrain people's kids. They're supposed to be getting education. Right. But then they're under all these different type of medications. And I'm like, is the medication helping or is it making them worse? Right. And we know medicine is a big business. You know, now yeah. that we are uh, legalized weed in the state of Rhode Island, you can ride around with weed now legally. Is it? Did it pass? Or? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. They, yesterday it was like, you know, so you don't they, even need. Uh, they're wiping out people that have charges. I know I yes, saw that too. Anybody yeah, who has yeah. charges with marijuana, I think yeah. that they're, they're getting rid of all the charges. Yeah, all the charges. Go so you don't need a medical card anymore. You can just. No. Well, I mean, I believe, if you, like, I don't, I don't really know, but I know that, like, in states where it was um, made legal, they still had cards. Maybe the card got a discount. Who knows? But yeah. I mean, you still got your street peddlers. You yeah. know, that still got their weed, and you know. To me, I think they just capitalizing. America's capitalizing off of something that they watch everybody else make money off of. That's exactly. So that's gonna, exactly it. Yeah. Like, yeah. why don't we get a piece of the? Well, right now, right? I can tell you this: that, they, that anybody that says that pot doesn't is you know just is a safe drug. Is I, every junkie? I, I'm a former addict myself. Mm-hmm. Everybody I met in rehab it all started with weed. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's the, it's this it is, yeah. this that's the entry drug. This yeah, this misnomer yeah. that weed's just a yeah. safe drug. It it all every. Junkie I ever met mm-hmm. started with weed yeah. or alcohol, or, yeah. but weed was always mixed in with it. Right. I mean, so it's not as safe. It's safe, yeah, but it leads to worse, mm-hmm. always. Well, nobody's starting off on not heroin or crack. I mean, yeah. I guess it's possible, but usually it's, it's right, right. having a oh, sip yeah. or yeah. Uh, having a... It's possible for kids that are in houses and their parents are on crack and blowing 
you smoke all through the house, and next thing you know, a kid's addicted to it. Right. You know what I mean? Or, or they're born in mother's drug addict. Oh, yeah. They're born, born into born it. Born you know, like that. You know, and, and even with the weed, man, they, they were dipping weed in, you know, ammonia and different type of chemicals that make the weed stronger, you know what I mean? And so, of course, I want to get a little higher since I feel like I didn't reach the ceiling. Right, you know? yeah. Now, yeah. fentanyl wasn't around when you were, thank God, but no. it, that kind of raises the stakes a little now that people can't even. Fentanyl is so scary, man. You know, with the new job I have and, and you know, we hear we hear things that Providence doesn't hear. You don't hear how many people OD on fentanyl because you know we want to keep Providence beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Right. We want Newport to be beautiful, yeah. and not realizing that you know last year I think we had a 450 overdoses. You know, not everybody died, but that's a lot. That's a lot. And they're getting and when they're raiding houses, they're getting 50,000 pills of fentanyl, 30,000 pills of fentanyl. And I'm like, wait a minute, we don't create fentanyl. Yeah, we don't. We're, we don't. We're not the manufacturer. Of right. Fentanyl. So how is all that getting to the community? You right. know, just makes you wonder sometimes. Yeah. Well, my doctor was sh- showed me pills that uh, showed me samples of pills that were made. Uh, it were just like uh, um, Vicodin and yeah. um, what else? Called? Xanax, per- Percocet. Percocet. They were all filled with yeah. with fentanyl. Yeah. And because they got these guys in the streets. You know, they're getting it pure. They don't know. How to cut this thing? You could just a little, little speck or fentanyl kill you, right? You know, so when they're trying to make these pills so they can make their money, you know, they're not really. It was a there's a bad batch of, of fentanyl going around maybe like two three months ago where everybody was dying, you know, and so like, much fentanyl. Like on it. My wife's cousin, you know, she took a pill and never woke up, you mm. know, and people are taking them. Most people are taking them not because they want to be high because they they're depressed, they want to go to sleep at night, you know, they're in pain. And not realizing that one pill you take. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. You don't wake back up. Yeah, it's a death sentence know? just yeah. from that one decision. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I knew a guy that went to prison. He was come out of prison. He did like 13 years. He, this guy wasn't even home two days. Took a pill and never woke up. Wow. You know? It's yeah. tough. That's tough. Like you say, it's not It's not made here, so. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's making it. Yeah. You know. What? So, um... I noticed uh, now that um, the march, we said you had a march. That Was that No More Murder? Is that the No More Murder, Inc.? Yeah. Could no you tell murder. us a little bit more about that? So that that's what's going us, on now, right? Well, we, we did it years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I want to say maybe it was like 2000. Okay. Um, maybe for like three years in a row. Um, we did when we started on Broad Street um, at, in front of, um, which was a barbershop my friend owns. That I was in the picture with. Um, we started his barbershop. We walked from there to um, the McDonald's area where all the homeless people hang out now yep. on Broad Street. And we ended there. We just, you know, different guys got to get speeches. Um, that night there was no shootings, no nothing. Um, then we did another one on Cranston Street. Um, I had a church on Cranston Street, so we actually marched from my church around to the Armory Park. And at the Armory Park we had stage and music and different artists. Um that night, there were a few shootings. Nobody got killed. And then we did another one uh, where we marched um, downtown Providence. Actually, we started from the east side and walked downtown, ended up in uh, Kennedy Plaza. We did another one there. And it was just to just bring awareness, try to bring unity, you know. And it's, it's tough when we're a small state, so in a small city, and it's hard to get all the mothers in the room who lost their sons when 
your son did this, your son did that. You know what I mean? So so, small. Yeah, yeah, you got to be real careful doing that because you're opening up a wound, you know, that never was healed, you know. And so it's, I felt that it was very, um, you know, I I felt it was good that we did it. Um, And, um, you know, we just recently talked about doing it again, you know. Um, Even though we haven't had um, many murders, but you want to get it now. You don't want to wait till it starts happening. I remember last, Last summer it was crazy. Yeah, crazy, yeah, crazy. Right? Yeah. Weren't they in like the top percentage of the uh, yeah. of the United States? Yes, in a small place like yeah. this. Imagine. Yeah, you know it's, it's the biggest thing. Uh, choice of weapon in Rhode Island is a knife. Is it? Man, I, I you know, there's, people get stabbed every week. Oh. Yeah, every week. You never hear it on the news, but the stabbing is serious, and it's like, you know, to me, it's worse than getting shot. Oh yeah. You know. You stick that thing in there, and you pull that thing out, and you, you know. Yeah, would you say the a majority of all, of all that violence is is drug related, some way or another? Um, no, some of them are. A lot of stuff is domestic violence. Oh, there's a, there's a very up, there's a high uptick in domestic violence right now. Mm-hmm. Um, in my job, I've seen a lady getting murdered. You know, domestic violence. Two ladies. Um. Just I don't know I don't know what goes to a man's mind where he wants to kill the person he says he loves you know um, right. but then you know when you're not them you don't know right you know um, like you said mental illness mental could, could be illness, could be drugs yeah. involved with that yeah. or crimes yeah. of passion yeah you know a lot of uh, mm-hmm. yeah a young lady that was um, was killed in Providence the one they it was all the news they put in the refrigerator no that yep. refrigerator. That guy had a history since the 80s of doing things to women. That guy should have been put in the prison. Right. You know, yeah. a psych ward or something. You know, and it's just, it's almost like we always wait till it's too late. And I, th- I thought I, years back there were, like, no more tolerance with the domestic violence. Right. <sighs> right. That goes in and out. Yeah. With, you know, yeah. depending on yeah. politicians are in or not. Yeah. You know, you got, you got higher ups that are doing it, doing it. So they got to. Soften the crime up a little bit, you know. That's true. Back in the <laughs> yeah. day, it was like if you get caught with powder, cocaine, it's a lesser charge. If you get caught with crack, you do more time, right. you know. And you know, any crack dealer knows it's only only baking soda makes it crack. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. So it's like, why is it 20 more years? Because we added baking soda to it. Because you know cocaine's I mean? a rich man. Uh, there you go. Yep, rich man's drug, yep. and they don't want him to do time when he gets caught. You know, so it's it's crazy. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, um, what's going on as far as you know? Can we get back a little bit more into your pastoring? Um, you said you you started off at what church was it? Two thousand five. Well, I started off at Cathedral Life. Okay, uh, it was a Cathedral Life. Then um, started going in two thousand. Um, uh, I was appointed pastor of our reach. Um, two thousand two. Uh, prior to that, I received my minister's license um, at another church. Uh-huh. And so when I got there, just kind of like, I actually was working at the training school, and they kind of took me out of training school and hired me to work at the church. Um, and so um, then I started my own church in 2005, which was uh, Victory Outreach. Okay. Um, and uh been pastoring ever since. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. you said, um, now how did you get uh, connected with Pastor Tony? Um, strangely enough, um, during the pandemic, um my mom had COVID, and uh, we would take her to the hospital. And um, 
I was just walking around the hospital praying on the grounds because I felt like it was military. I mean, seeing the military out there and the, mm. the tents, I'm like, man, what's going on out here? And um, so I just began to pray. And I um, met past 21 time, but just like in passing, and then, um, you know, he texts me, hey, what's going on? You know, we talk a little bit. And then um, pandemic time passed, and I would, you know, check him out on Facebook, um, you know, doing different things. And um, one day it was like, hey, you know, they're having a, a retreat, married couples retreat. Yeah. And, um, you know, I feel like if nobody invests in their marriage, they don't want their marriage. Because mm. you, know, you got to invest because it's, you know, I mean, so I went to the retreat, you know, and I don't know, I just, I felt comfortable. Like, I felt like I was at home. I'm like, wow. It's like um, Some people I knew because some of the people used to go to where I went to church. And so I was I was very comfortable. And then after that, I was like, hey, well, let's go to lunch. What are you doing next week? And I went to lunch and we just began to talk. You're going to speak life, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and begin to show me ministry in a different light, you know, and, and how, you know, you know you're know, you in a, you're sitting on a harvest, you know, um, and you got to till the ground and, you know, um, you know, get those souls. You know, he just, just been linked ever since. Yeah, he he seems like he talked talk life and in, life into you. Yeah, um, because I, I, I think I was at, um, I don't know if it was your uh, ceremony for for the church. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, or I saw it online, but he, he it might have been before that. How, you know, I think you were very stressed. I mean, because your yeah. pastor, yeah, like, man, pa- pastorhood is like a serious business. It has you know? its pros and cons. Yeah, you know and. I think, you know, you know, when you, after a while, like, I have a passion for people, you know, and so it's like, you can't pass if you don't have a passion for people, right? number one, and then you You're get to a certain stage, yeah, <laughs> and you get to a certain stage as a visionaire where you don't see growth, you know, and it's, you, you can get frustrated, you know, and tired, worn out, and so, you know, at one time I used to take vacation all the time, like a break away from ministry, and I just got into a season where it was years I didn't, you know. And it was like, man, you know, you need a life jacket. You need to take a break, you know. And I took a little break and um, just re- recoup, you know. And so, you know, I got a lot of family. I got three in my new three children in my my marriage, and then I had my own three children. I got grandkids, so it's like I got to juggle everything now, you know. Okay. And it was like I got to the point. I said, you know what? Maybe I'm gonna close a church. And just join North Providence, okay. you know. Yeah. And we sat down. He was like, no, that's not God's plan. Wow. You know, God's plan for you to keep pastoring and doing what you're doing and um, develop pastors and leaders where you are and let them take their ministry and run with it, you know. Yeah. And so that's what I've been doing, you know. And it's it's like a breath of fresh air, mm. you know. And a lot of people say, oh, you're thinking of Pastor Tony? You know, people see big churches, they see money, you know. And I'm like, my relationship with him has nothing to do with money. Yeah. My relationship has to do with growth, discipleship. Right. You know what I mean? And God is doing it. Like when the men came, he said, I'm going to send the men over to the church. They're going to paint the church and yep. they're going to do this. I'm like, really? Like, what? Because <laughs> like, you didn't experience that no, before. That no, kind of, yeah. You know, and they, one day, mm. one day the church was painted. And I'm like, okay. He said, anything else you want to do? I say, well, let's take the stage down. Take the stage down, put a different stage up. And mm-hmm. so it's just, it's, it, no promises, you know. I mean, it used to be no problems assembling me for years, right. but restoration edge is, is, you know, it's they got the right pastor. Yeah, oh, yeah. Pastor Tony's great. great a lot great of pastors, show. a lot of pastors love that man because right. he's real. And I think the most relevant thing he's a, a man about marriage and family. Right. 
That's like key. You cannot build church. I, I've been in church where the children get neglected. Right. Because you want to speak in tongues and you want to go to all these services. And, you know, some people I didn't even know they had kids because i never seen their kids in church. Yeah, I know, you know that. I've heard that, like, a lot, a lot of uh, pastors' children have you know, a lot of issues because man, of that, right? We, man, we got pastors' children that are in jail, mm-hmm. strung out, confused, hurt, you know, because— I don't know, the old way of things, they took on this thing where, like, I got to be sold off for the church, you know. Not if you got a family. Right. You know, your family comes before the church. You right. Know? Because then what do you tell other families that come to church and say, hey, I'm struggling? Oh, you are? Like, you know. Yeah, you, so, you, build, you build outward from your family. Yeah. Well, they're spending all day helping everybody else's family but their own. But their own. So they get burnt out. Yeah. And then when yeah. it time, comes time for their family, yeah. I guess they have yeah. nothing to give for them, which... It, sh- it shouldn't be like yeah, that. Yeah. And one thing, I, I know Pastor only said he was watching how I dealt with my family. Oh, yeah. To decide how he lives with me. He was yeah. watching you. Yeah. And I don't know how to fake that. No. You know what I mean? Like, like I'll do anything for my children. They're older. You know, my, son's a tra- my son travels the country, you know, playing music. He, every year he's overseas for like three months mm-hmm. playing for the Holland Gospel Choir. Mm. And he plays different genres of music and just a... Oh, he's playing the devil's music. So I say he's his work. He's a producer. Right. That's what he does. I said. I said I don't work when I go to work. It's not church. I get a secular job. Like yeah. pays bills. Right. You know. And yeah. so when your music is just a passion and it's what you hide in your heart. Yeah. Did you say he? No. You said he did did work for Dr. Dre. Or was that uh, you or somebody else? No. A, a, a good guy to me. It was like a uh-huh. brother to me. He um he went to Berkeley. Um, and he ended up um, getting picked out of Berkeley and sent oh. and went with Dr. Dre okay. to do music. And, um, you know, back then Dr. Dre kept working on this album, like a chronic album never came out. But um, he was very significant in helping. Mm-hmm. But also he did, like, stuff like um, 50 Cent. Uh, he wrote music for Eminem, Buster Rhymes, all type of, wow. you know, he's still up there in uh, L.A., you know, it's, it's a tough playing field up there, though. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's yeah. nothing to play with, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell me about your other family. Um, I know your your wife is involved in your ministry. My wife's very involved in ministry. My wife's a praying woman, mm-hmm. and she, um, you know, she'll pray day and night if she has to, mm-hmm. you know. And so she's helped, you know, in, in our type of church world, they say, oh, you make the pastor should make his wife the co-pastor. And I'm just like, I went the opposite way. You know, it's oh, she's supposed to be the co-pastor. It says who? Like, where's that scripture? Like, I believe in women preachers. I believe in all that. But I believe that my wife has her own life. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so if we're both, we're colleagues and we're we're in church and it's like, wait a minute, what about her dreams and her visions and her passion? Right. You know, she want to go to school, do what she got to do. Like, church doesn't be her thing. Right. You know, but my, for my wife to not ever been in church ever before in her life, you would... You would never believe that. I've, I saw her when yeah. I went to your church, and she's got passion. Yeah, she yeah. was on. She was on fire. Yeah, you, know, yeah, you wouldn't know it. How long has she been involved in the church? Uh, maybe about eight years. Okay. Yeah, about eight years. I um, think she would have grown up in the church. Yeah, and she has. And she has a great family in Providence. Um, she's an O'Connor. And O'Connor's very well known in Providence, man. Mm-hmm. Um, her uncles are very well known. Um, very, um, I say, studious people. You know, wasn't that that ghetto type family? A very studious, you know. So she was fortunate. Um, her dad, her dad um, died when she was thirteen. Um, her mom's still living, and um, you know, she's just she's great. 
Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? She's, she's, she's doing a thing, man. I wouldn't stop her for nothing. I know pastors become jealous of their wives because their wives seem to be selling more ministry. But to me, your wife is the backbone of who Absolutely. you are. Yeah. You know, she's your she's your intercessor more than anybody is. You know, and she got to she has to deal with the good, the bad, and ugly that people don't see. Right. You know? yeah. So, you know, I, I appreciate her. Mm-hmm. You know? So you, uh, um, your your children. You said you have a son who's involved in music, and then my son um, is involved in music. He plays at a church um, in Bridgeport. Mm-hmm. It's mega ministry. Um, they picked him up, man. He was a dad. You know. Do you mind if I go play keyboard? I said, man, you better pursue everything that God has for you. I'm not going to hold you hostage here, mm-hmm. you know, and and then you resent me for the rest of your life, yeah. you know, and, and I know how music works. Um, my my uh, youngest daughter, she plays drums. Uh, he he taught her. She only played drums for three years, and she is phenomenal. Wow. Dad, just, dad didn't teach her? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't teach her nothing. Yeah. I'm like, I like hair play, but I don't even want to get on the drums. You know, <laughs> I'm gonna stay in retirement. <laughs> yeah, you know, my other nice. daughter, my other daughter sings. Um, nice. I mean, she's a powerhouse man. She leads my praise and worship in my church. I, I, yeah, she. I think she sang when uh, I was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then my wife's children. They, um, her daughters both can sing. They both can dance. Um, you know, her son. Uh, our son is 15. He's being a boy. You know, mm. he wants to. Ride motorcycles and <laughs> bike life and wheelie the bike up and down the street, you know. Um, but he's very uh, inquisitive. He's very smart, you know. Um, um, all of our kids are not serving the Lord how we want them, but in God's time. Right. You know what I mean? You know, I still have loved my kids regardless of what's going on in their life. Absolutely. You know? When you look back when you were younger, the younger you, do you look at your life as uh, everything happens for a reason? Like you're, you're Like you wouldn't change anything as far as, so you being shot led to you getting to this point, sort mm-hmm. of? Um, I believe eventually I would have went back to my roots of church, you know. Um, and I I just think that if I could change some things, I'd probably, um, I don't know. Like, suppose you say, I would have never got married, but then I wouldn't have my kids. Right, you know, right. My kids, like, I wouldn't trade them for the world, you know what I mean? So, um, of course, I probably would have changed um, how I— you know, handle my health, you know. Mm. I am more healthy now than I was when I was 18 years old. You know, I don't have diabetes no more, no high blood pressure. I don't take 30 pills a day no more. I was on 30 pills a day, man, and it's like, you know, every day is, a, you know, an inspiration for me to keep moving forward, you know. Um, but I don't know what I would change um, because the things that I would have changed, I already started changing them, mm-hmm. you know, so. Right. And, I mean, the life that you led – like you said, is it's your testimony, how yeah. God worked in your life and yeah. how he brought you from that to where you are now. Yeah. And yeah. even in that, in your past experiences, you can help people, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. because you've been through it. Like yeah. people, yeah. kids on the street doing doing wrong things. Mm-hmm. You did it. You've yeah. done that. And yeah. you can relate. So yeah. God yeah. God has a plan for everybody. Well, yeah, yeah you're yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. Because yeah. I, like as a, when I was an addict, the, the people that help you the most are former addicts, yeah. ex-addicts that yeah. – that know what you went through, you know. That's what I'm saying. On the streets, you must be, yeah. you're a world of knowledge because you've yeah. been there, yeah. you know. And it's preachers, teachers, elders, phenomenal people that are strung out right now, mm. you know. And those are people we got to reach. They're they're the future, you know. We can't look at them as like, oh, they're washed up. They're never going to change, you know. Even like the tent cities, there's preachers in tent city mm. that are they're just dead, but nobody wants to witness to them. Nobody wants to tell them that Jesus loves them. Right. Of course, they go to soup kitchen and hear Jesus loves them, but 
sometimes you got to walk and be a, you know, you got to disciple people, man, you know. Right. You got to build know. that rapport with yeah. them, right? Yeah. It was a lady that got me off the street. Wasn't even, man, there's men in church. They wouldn't even talk to me. Yeah. You know, I remember being shot, sitting on the porch, my wounds wide open. The, the pastor comes over. Instead of talking to me, he's looking around thinking somebody's going to come by and shoot, yeah. you know, instead of speaking life. Yeah. You know? yeah. And I was like, if God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, power, love, and a sound mind, don't worry about that, you know. Right. I mean, and, you know, we'll be good to go, you know. But, you know, we need more men. Like, what I love about Restoration too, is men are there, men are at men's ministry, and that's powerful, mm-hmm. you know, especially when you get men to get in a room and talk, you know, because we don't talk. No, <laughs> no, no just like, open yeah, up and like personal us. secret agents. <laughs> yeah, you know. Absolutely, yeah, man. powerful. When you get people, men around other yeah. other godly men, it, it yeah. can be powerful. Yeah. You're supposed to be leaders of the church. Yeah, and you could be transparent, man. And nobody know. judges you. Yeah, and then yep. you went through something that somebody in this room went through, and they overcame it, and it's like, wow, you know. Yeah, it's nothing like yeah. your testimony. Yeah. You, know? yeah, you can you can tell people. Quote scriptures all day long to people, yeah, and they yeah. don't know the Bible, but you know we're like the Bible to yeah, them, and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and to, to know your testimony mm-hmm. and say where God brought you from, like yeah. you said before, mm-hmm. that's 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 so powerful. Yeah, man. Yeah. So you know, mm-hmm. best decision I ever made. You know? Excellent. Yeah. Um, now uh, I see that you have a life scripture, Romans twelve one and two. Why that yeah. scripture? Um, because I believe in that scripture was just like. You know, I'm not going to be conformed to the world. You know, I'm going to transform my mind, going to renew. Mm-hmm. And that was, that just stuck out. There. That was the first sermon I ever preached, mm-hmm. you know. And I was in a hardcore environment. And it's crazy because when I preached it, but I preached my lifestyle with it. And when I look around the church, the pa- when I got done preaching, the pastor stopped the service and made everybody get on their knees and repent. Wow. You know, and I was just like, wow. You know, and I was like new. I was... Mm-hmm. Only three years in, and it was like, you're going to go on this platform service and do this because I believe it's in you. And, you know, um, and it, you know, every day is a challenge, you know, and it's like the Bible says we die daily. So it's like, you know, you're going to make mistakes. I don't care if you're the Pope. I don't care who you are. Yeah. You're going to make mistakes as long as you've got this flesh, you know, and, and the Bible says the heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? You know, mm. I mean, we, we all have we all have our issues. We all have our problems. You know, we're all addicted to something. Right. You know what I mean? And Something's always your master, yeah, right? It's something, something's there. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, and that's why I say every day your testimony stretches, you know. Mm-hmm. Every day I wake up, I'm breathing. God still got a plan for me. The plan ain't over, you know. Right, right. Yeah. And at the beginning of that scripture says to offer our bodies as yeah, a living, living sacrifice, sacrifice, holy and pleasing yeah. to God, right? Yeah. That's a true yeah. and proper worship. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah. it's all about uh, humbling yourself. yeah. It's, and it's not easy. Surrender enough. Especially know. the men, us like yeah. you're talking about the men yeah. with the pride. Yeah, we got pride, we got mm-hmm. jealousy, we got envy, you know, and you know, it's it's that's who God created us to be. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We're we're created to be, you know, leaders, you know, there's an alpha male in all of us. Yeah. You know what I mean? And sometimes it rises up, you know, and it's you know, but God, you know, I just I mean, being in church for me is a breath of fresh air, mm-hmm. you know. Has its challenges, but I just know that God is faithful. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I come a long way, man. You know, and I come a real long ways. Absolutely. So, what is next for Pastor Sherrod Jones? Um, I'm gonna keep building my ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and I want to take the city of Providence. 
Mm. You know what I mean? I, I really want to transform lives one at a time. You know what I mean? Until it's until you see the evidence of it. You know. Um, you know, and I. You know, I I I just. It's just a passion, man, like to just see that. And then I want to see my family grow. Yeah. You know what I mean? I want to see my family, you know, remain doing ministry and doing what God called them to do, you know. And, um, you know, hopefully in 10 years I can retire, All right. you know, from pastoring, but not, you know, preaching the gospel. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. But, um, and I'm, st- I'm staying on my health journey, you know. We should be dying of natural causes. Absolutely, you know long I mean? life. So, you know, because you know. God, God needs you. God can yeah. use you. Like even if you said yeah. if you retire and pastor in ten yeah. years or so, yeah. you're still yeah. doing His work, still regardless of where you are. That's what yeah. we talked to our first guest, uh, Kevin Dodge. He, mm-hmm. what did he say? He Ubers now, mm-hmm. and he, he does. He preaches the word to yeah. his yeah. his passengers. Yeah. You know, so it yeah. doesn't matter if you're behind yeah. a uh, pulpit or yeah, behind man. a steering wheel, right? Yeah, we got we got to be a church with our walls. Absolutely. You know? We come in iron shopping's iron, but then we go back into the field. Yeah. You know, and that's one thing we don't find too much in the church. Nobody wants to go into the field, you right. know. Right. Everybody wants to preach. Yeah. Everybody wants to get the microphone and everybody wants to do something inside, but you know, go out there with Jesus would be. Right. I believe Jesus would be at the nightclub. You'd be anywhere where there's drama, violence, yeah. because he knows he can change the world, you know. And so, if greater works shall we do, why are we not doing what Jesus did? Absolutely. You know, Jesus had no church. Yep. Yeah. So that's what what Pastor Tony always says: an equipping church. Yeah. You go to yeah. church to build, get equipped, equip, train, and, yep. and go out. Go out there. To the world. It says go out to the edges and the highways. You know, and, and really, you know. I, we can't look at people like, oh, you're in sin. Like, we got to forget we were in sin, too. Mm, we were there. You know, and, and even to this day, we're all going to still fall short. We're all going to, you know, it says just man falls seven times, but it gets back up. It didn't say a sin, it said a just man. You know, right. so, I mean, you know, and, and you know, it says the righteous will scarcely make it in. Mm. So where does that leave us? We've got to stay on our post. we got to keep pushing. You know, we can't look at people, oh, they don't want God. No, they hold. Everybody needs a chance. Absolutely. Everybody needs a chance. Even if it's just planting a seed. Yeah. And what I like about my ministry is is I understand. I understand the streets. I understand drug addicts. I understand it all. So it's easy for me to to deal with that crowd that nobody wants to deal with. Oh, no. You you need to have an upper-class church. You know, I'm like, for what? Like, you know, so, you know, we, we can walk around and forget about what Jesus has done. You're, you know, you're where the, they need the help the most. Yeah, man. You know, you know, we, we get on the street, pass off food, and, you know, and it's like, oh, you're around them guys. Why not? You know, it's like they're not gonna hurt us, they're not gonna harm us. You know, they'll actually protect you quicker than anybody. That is true. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, you know. Oh, you had your mouth open. No, no, no. I keep looking at Al, and yeah. he's got his mouth open, like he's going to say yeah, something. His, his mind, his mind I'm just I think he's just taking in everything yeah. you're saying. Oh, yeah. wow. I'm listening. Yeah. Wow. I'm just listening. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I had an aunt, man, that was um was on heroin probably her whole, from childhood up to the day she died. You know, she, she died a... Um, Maybe it's been about three years now. The interesting thing is we were born on the same day. Wow. Yep. And um, she was one of my favorite aunts, man. And, you know, the heroin just kept getting her and getting her. She went to rehab after rehab. 
went to Texas, you know, into Christian rehab. Mm-hmm. And that's where she found God. You know, she's born and raised in Newport News. Mm-hmm. And she, this Texas, she went to really change her life. But by this time, she had, like, cancer in her body and stuff like that. And um, I remember they called me and said, you know, tell my wife was in, I mean, my aunt was in a coma and to pray, you know. I got my car and drove to Virginia. Wow. And I went up in the hospital, and she was incoherent. And I laid hands on my aunt and prayed. Mm-hmm. I believed God. I walked up out of there. I took my kids. We went to water country. And on the way home, they would say, you know, she woke up. And I said, I believe God. Yeah. But she woke up for y'all, for, for y'all to get it right that don't believe. Mm-hmm. And maybe a week later, she was gone. Wow. You know, and I said that was for them to see the manifestation of God's power. Absolutely. You know what I mean? You know, and so, you know, I mean, she was she was everything, man. Yeah. You know, people write write drug addicts and stuff off, man. They're loving people, man. They, Absolutely. They us. They we, they just didn't make it out the way some of us were fortunate to do. You right. Know? And I think you never forget where you come from. You, you're a survivor, you yeah. know. We're not, we're not, we don't start off in all the same, the same place, no. the same Mm-mm. surroundings yeah. and, no. yeah. you know, so people, you know, it's just life. People have yeah. it better than others yeah. and, and yeah. you got to put, you know, if you could live a, a, a day in someone's yeah. shoes, you can understand yeah. and, and look at through that lens. And yeah. a lot of time where, like you said, we're quick to judge. Yeah, you know, and that's, yeah. and then we know there's only one judge and it's not that's us. That's it. And right? us, you know, and that's what makes, you know, the smaller church, the, so-called black church, they're so judgmental. Like, it's sad, you know. Like, I don't get it, you know. Right. They, they get well, it looks like you're not judgmental, Pastor Sherrod. And yeah, it looks like no. you're doing uh, great things in the community. Mm-hmm. And you have a good, uh, you know, mindset about yourself. And I, I, anybody who is looking for a church in the area of Providence, Rhode Island, anywhere, anywhere in Rhode Island, um Come check Pastor Sherrod out at the Restoration Church Providence. And what is the address of that church? 65 Narragansett Ave. 65 Narragansett Ave, Providence, Rhode Island. Check and I him always out. tell people, tri- Reservoir Triangle or down the street from Popeye's Chicken. Oh, everybody knows of Popeye's Chicken. <laughs> so some people come, they go to the... <laughs> the wrong go, one? They go to Narragansett uh, out towards Cranston off uh, Islands. And they're like, where's the church? I don't see it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and what so time, I'm at 65, yeah. but this is not a church. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what time of your yeah. service time? 2 p.m. 2 p.m. Well, that's that's uh, nice. Yeah. That's good for you late yeah. risers. Yeah, yeah, you know. I picked that time because, you know... I always believe when you go to church, you don't smell stale liquor, mm-hmm. stale weed. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not really doing ministry sometimes. That's how I feel. Like, like I want that crowd that was hung over from last night. Mm. You know, come yeah. get some, get, come get the gospel. You know, because right. um, I know that's what I'm called to. Right. You know, yeah, you get to sleep in a little bit. Yeah, get to sleep to in a little bit. You know, well, I used to go to Restoration first out here in North Providence. You know, I, I want to be fed too. Absolutely. You know, yeah, you can yeah, do. You can yeah. do both. Yeah. So I usually go to the nine o'clock service, and then I go over to mine's. I was doing the eleven, but then it was like cutting it close. Cutting you know. It, yeah. yeah. So the nine is just refreshing. Right. You know. That's great. Yeah. Um, so in closing, um, final thoughts. Uh, what would you like to say to our viewers? Anything? Uh, advice? Any? Uh, anything you'd like to say to them? Um, for viewers, I would say you know stay in the process. You know. Um, Know that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Never give up. Keep pushing and get around people that, you know, will celebrate you, not tolerate you. 
Mm. And that will push you to the next level. Um, find you a good Bible teaching church or cell group, you know, small group or something. And um, never give up. Right. Never give up. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent words of encouragement. Yes. Well, I'm very um, impressed at what you do. Yes, and your you. your uh, your passion for change is is, yes. is incredible, and I wish you all the best. Thank you. And I know God is going to uh, push you to new heights, yes. and and you're going to be helping a lot of people. Yes. Amen. So so before we go, mm-hmm. I have a couple things. Yeah. I have for you a uh, what's your story official T-shirt. Nice, we, nice. we can rock. Maybe you can wear it to yeah, yeah. Uh, a service or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll wear it to work. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And. Also, and what we do is um, behind you, there's a bookshelf, and everyone who comes on the show is getting a book that they told their story. Um, has what's your story on it? Your name on the binder and a uh, a nice picture there. So if you can uh, put that on the shelf, top shelf, right behind you, you might yeah. want to take your headphones off so we don't uh, have an accident. Have an accident. Yeah, we don't want them to walk away from the table. <laughs> Absolutely. So do the honors. Right next to Lauren Malloy up there. Very good. He is on the shelf of fame. You're going to do another applause out? That's great. (laughs) There's a lot of applause as well. Once again, thank you very much, Pastor Sherrod. Thank you for doing this. It was excellent, and we wish you well. And we thank everyone for joining us for What's Your Story, and we'll see you next time. Yes.